The Great Filter is a Phobos Tech podcast. All proceeds go to fund the STEM Theory Research Project, inspired by the economic systems of both Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek and Ian M. Binks's Culture series. STEM Theory aims for a cleaner, healthier future for all of humanity. Go to thegreatfilterpodcast.com to like, rate, subscribe, or follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. The Great Filter has adopted the No Pass Directive. That's no placements, ads, spots, or sponsors. So check out the support link at thegreatfilterpodcast.com and consider becoming a monthly contributor. Options are as low as 99 cents per month. Thank you. Will we be the filtered for the filtrate? This is the Great Filter. For me, I actually expect us not to be okay, and I'm not okay with that. But as far as I know, we could still save humanity and we could get to the fourth frontier or something akin to it. But I expect us not to. I expect us to fuck it up. I don't like that thought, but I've looked into the abyss and I've done my calculations. And the number of ways we could not succeed are many. And the number of ways that we could manage to get out of this very dangerous phase of history is small. But the thing I don't have to worry about is that I didn't do enough, that I was a coward, that I prioritized other things. At the end of the day, I think I will be able to say to myself, and in fact, the thing that allows me to sleep at night, is that when I saw clearly what needed to be done, I tried to do it to the extent that it was in my power. And if we fail, and I expect us to, I can't say, well, geez, that's on me. Brett Weinstein. All right. Now, both to Brett Weinstein's credit and kind of not to his credit, um, he's he quickly became a very polarizing figure. He's, um, you know, just doing his thing. I, I, I believe he's, his heart is into what he's doing. I believe he's doing it for the right reasons. I mean, he's calling bullshit on a lot of things, and I think he has some fairly good arguments for doing so. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely don't agree with everything that man says. But my point is, <laughs> is that those words, that quote, whether or not you are uh, doing everything you possibly can, um, and, you know, depending on whether you are or you aren't, those words should touch the very core of who you are. You know, whether, whether it's something that rings true or something that, that is a stab right to the center of your, your being, they, they should have an effect on just about anybody that hears that. It was, uh, <laughs> I had Lex Friedman's uh, podcast playing while I was just preparing for this, for this uh, episode, and, and Brett Weinstein was his guest, and... Uh, yeah, he just kind of said it in the background, and as it as it flowed into my mind, as I heard it, I'm like, oh my god, dude, that's got to be the quote for this episode. That's that is perfect for this episode. So yeah. Anyway, um, before we get started, there's something I wanted to make a note of uh, on the topic of advertisements. Um, 
I, I don't want to come off like a hypocrite. I, I've said multiple times that I have a very hard time with with ads and um, ad agencies and advertisement in general. Yet I have an anchor ad before uh, before my episodes, and mm, I just wanted to kind of. Yeah, I guess I am to some extent a hypocrite, and and I'll I'll admit that. But um, I want to kind of shed some light <laughs> on the reason why why I've decided to do that, and uh, yeah, and why you probably won't be hearing many others. So I'm hopefully not going to take too much time. I want to kind of you know outline this uh, issue really quickly, and then you can decide for yourself whether or not you think I'm a hypocrite. And if you do think I'm a hypocrite, that's totally fair. <laughs> uh, so um, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to uh, simply talk about in an entertaining way um, some of the issues that my research is tackling. One of the other reasons for doing this podcast is to um, monetize it, uh, hopefully via donations, um, in order to help fund the research. Now, Anchor's model is that you create a podcast. They allow you to upload your episodes for free. Um, in exchange, they you know, offer a, a platform where you can um, include, you know, uh, um, ads from different agent or from different companies and whatever. And you can kind of format the ad in your own kind of way by uh, spicing it up with your own little sort of flavor, whatever. However, one of the first, um, uh, I guess, sponsors ads they allow you to consider is is Anchor's own ad. Now, given that Anchor is a free platform, and that by that by by putting that ad, you know, in front of each episode, I'm I'm not selling something. Uh, at least as far as trying to get people to buy something. That's not my intention. Anchor really is a pretty cool free platform. That's why I chose to use it. But in that, the way Anchor makes money is by, not by providing a free platform for podcasters, but by uh, allowing this sort of um, conduit for different businesses and companies to insert or at least ask those podcasters on the anchor platform to run their ads. So I would suspect that those people, those podcasters who actually do run the anchor ad and actually do begin to build, you know, some sort of listener base would also be looked more favorably upon by anchor. And obviously, those podcasts, you know, may or may not get, um, uh, I guess, special treatment in search results and that sort of a thing. That, that's at least what I think may be happening. So the fact that I'm not actually trying to get you to buy anything and the fact that, um, you know, I'm trying to monetize this, I'm trying to get a fan base, I'm trying to to build up, you know, so people can, or people will feel like they're, they're getting something, they're getting value out of this. They're, they're 
finding this information interesting. So they'll begin to, you know, donate a little bit here and there. Now, uh, aside from what Anchor may want me to do that, or want me to do, <laughs> um, my goal is to build enough of a, uh, of a listener base that I, I won't need to run ads. I don't want to run ads. I don't. So that is sort of my whole thing with, with why there is an Anchor ad at the beginning of each episode. <laughs> and speaking of episodes, let's get started. So what would a best possible scenario look like for humanity? Like what, you know, what, what elements would have to be in place? What sort of attributes are we looking for, for a best possible scenario? Okay. So first, before we move on really quickly, um, in the interest of transparency, I am going to have a bias in this episode. And that is because, um, a, a lot of what we're going to be touching on are, well, just different aspects of the research that I am working on. Um, this means that, uh, much of the information provided in this episode is going to either be information from previous research, re, I'm sorry, previous research that, that other field researchers have provided or from, uh, my own research. I will definitely make clear which is which, uh, but just so you know. Okay. Now, as far as what a best possible scenario would look like for humanity as a whole, uh, for this episode, I've boiled it down to four major points that would, at least in my humble opinion, maximize our chances for evading uh, any of the great filters, which we've already kind of talked about that fall underneath the category of something we can, we can recognize in, in enough time to do something about it and something that we will at the time be capable of doing something about. Okay, so the first point is information propagation and, and uh, I guess, society's cap capacity to adapt to that information in, in a productive and seamless sort of manner. So information propagation and adaptation, I guess you can shorten it to that. Um, currently, we're living in a fairly fast-paced high tech, high turnover rate, as far as knowledge goes, meaning that, um, as we, be, as we continue to discover new information and learn new things about our, about our world and our, ourselves, our environment, right? The old outdated information gets kind of thrown out yet. We have very few mechanisms in place for ensuring that that information propagates properly and is implemented properly. Okay. So now if we were going to implement mechanisms that could fit these criteria that could allow us to get the information out there across the world as quickly as possible and implemented as quickly as possible so that, you know, socially, globally, as a community of humans, we could take advantage of the new information. I, uh, my 
I guess, perspective on this. My, what I've decided here is that these mechanisms would need to fit these, these four criteria. The first one is it needs to be sustainable. Um, obviously, if we're going to have a best possible scenario, m most any mechanism or device we implement into our social structure, it, it just has to be sustainable. I mean, you can't not if you're going to have a best possible scenario. Um, it needs to be fast. It needs to allow the information to get propagated and implemented uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, the next one is low energy requirements. Now that's not exactly the same thing as sustainability. Uh, if if some, something is sustainable, it can still have high energy requirements. Uh, for this, however, especially considering, you know, the, the, the I guess, intensity of, of such a mechanism or system, it would have to be a low energy system. And the mechanism itself needs to be able to be updated and optimized according to our best current understanding of any of the principles upon which it works. Okay, a few examples of this would be uh, the propagation of new scientific information um, as far as like, you know, uh, social and psychological information. Uh, social information as far as, say, uh, governmental organizations, um, governmental layout, research uh, done on optimal, um, you know, configurations in government, optimal, uh, optimal, <laughs> optimal methods for... Um, for getting people in government to communicate with each other, to um, settle disagreements, that sort of a thing. Uh, in the legal arena, uh, somewhat related to government, uh, court officials and, and overseers and clerks would all be required to update their understanding of social circumstances and psychology. One of the biggest problems we have today in, you know, in, in the legal sort of landscape is that judges, police, um, lawyers, prosecutors, clerks, you know, so many people that are involved in legal proceedings, proceedings that can insanely affect somebody's life are dumb when it comes to understanding psychology, sociology, when it comes to understanding how humans work, what the best course of action is to uh, rehabilitate certain kinds of people. They literally have been kept behind in the, you know, in, in the knowledge of these sciences. And it's, it is detrimental to just about everything humanity is supposed to do. Everything we're we are about as a species, as as a group, as a collective of, of you know individuals that are trying to become a better, uh, more advanced spacefaring species. Um, education. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, education. We are terrifyingly bad at adapting to the latest science in in learning in. Um, in creativity and getting kids motivated to to enjoy learning 
We, we are so bad at it. Our schools are literally doing exactly what the current science says not to do. We're, we're going to touch on this a little bit more later, but let's go on to the next point. Um, structural mobility. This might sound a, a little weird up front, but trust me, uh, uh, hear me out here for a second, because this could be a key, mm, I guess, habit for humanity to get, to get into that, that could really alter the way we progress as a species. Um, the idea here is to use our current knowledge and information uh, for how, how um, uh, structures work, how structures interact with, you know, or react to uh, the movement of the ground and wind and that sort of thing. Use what we know to design buildings that aren't completely permanent, you know? So, for instance, several of the current cities around the world are not optimized for, uh, for distribution of materials, for distribution of uh, food, products, utilities, that sort of a thing. Most of the big cities these days, and many of the smaller cities, in fact, most cities, I guess I should say, are not optimized for that sort of a thing. Now, if we are going to be a productive species, we need to be able to reconfigure structurally our cities to max, you know, when, when the cost benefit ratio tips, the cost it would take to reconfigure the city and the savings that, you know, the, the balance between that and the savings it would be estimated to provide all the way up until the next uh, uh, projected city mod, right? That compared to otherwise, how much, um, how much would be wasted if we, or, or how much we would expend or both, right? Up until the next projected city modification, that would have to be taken into account. And I'll give a really quick example of this in just a second, but um, we, we would have to invest in technologies for not just how to construct buildings, not just how to construct extremely large buildings like skyscrapers and, uh, you know, very large um, apartment complexes, but inherent in their construction, we would have to very carefully and very yeah, intelligently design some way of either breaking it back down quickly, like really quickly, or uh, maybe design it to where everything's super modular, can just kind of all unplug and um, remove, you know, move the building somewhere else or reshape it or, or whatever. But it would have to be, the designs for such a thing would have to, you know, come from uh, who knows how many engineers brainstorming over some time however if done correctly i believe such a dynamic would vastly vastly improve how we utilize energy how we are able to literally restructure the physical landscape of our cities to better adhere to what we know scientifically 
and to more easily incorporate um, cutting-edge city technology. Okay, now, really quick, an example of this is, say, uh, a, a new idea comes in, right, and it's going to take three days to restructure the city because we're such badass engineers that we can do it in three days, um, but it's going to take three days, so th th that's a cost, right, and it's going to take so much energy. Well, let's say that the amount of energy this new mod um, saves is just about equals the amount of energy that it took to do it right before the next projected city mod is projected to come out. Would that be worth it? it you know, either way, we would s spend just about the same amount of energy. So that, that sort of analysis, like that, that's the kind of um, analysis we would have to take under consideration when we do something like this, right? Right. <laughs> okay, okay, second major point, second big bullet point here. All right, this is an actionable, top-tier education system for everybody. Now, as I said in the previous, for the previous point, right, the, the distribution of scientific information, currently our schools suck. Like, public schools suck bad. Um, they do a lot of things backwards, and they, they, it's not maximized for learning. So, um, in light of what we know, objectively, it would appear that we were trying our best to make people less intelligent. A and that's crazy especially if we're trying to progress as a species. Um, when I talk to young kids, when I talk to high schoolers, right? Like, I'm talking about kids in 12th grade, 11th grade. When I speak to them, I'm, I'm literally flabbergasted at how little they know these days. Uh, I mean, the, the shit that I knew when I was in high school... The, the stuff that my teachers challenged me with, the, the things that I was able to be taught in high school would, I don't even know where these kids are with it. Like, they don't know the basics of anything, and it, it's nuts. It is so crazy to me. So, in order to do this, in order to accomplish this, this top-tier education for everybody, um, first of all, number one, we would have to do the first point I talked about before, actionable top tier, right? Uh, um, propagating information. Um, so, especially to schools, especially to the, the educational system. Make sure they are on top of it. Make sure they are using cutting edge psychology, sociology, educational research for how to get kids excited and learning. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't give young children hours and hours of homework that that's not conducive to learning that's something we already know yet it continues to happen uh, two i would enable i would enable stimulating environments for the kids thing you know a, sort of a landscape that would really get the kids curiosity moving you know really get the natural juices flowing really get them into trying to figure out what's happening, how to learn this, how to learn that. One of the ideas I've been playing around with in my mind is to have uh, schools built around 
maybe or built into companies. So what I mean by this is if you want to get children excited about something, right? If there was a giant lab, you know, a giant lab in the middle of school where real lab techs, real workers would come and, and, and do their job, you know, really mix chemicals, really, really use, um, things that look cool, things that look interesting, things that would fascinate the kids, that sort of thing. Like the kids would want to go see what's going on. They would love it that there is a lab in their school. They'd be so fascinated by it. Um, have, have a open, kind of an open auto shop there or something where they can watch the mechanics actually pulling engines out, uh, welding, you know, whatever. Things that, that people do for a living, fascinating things, right? Uh, have just whatever, have, have it kind of a free roaming environment where the kids can not go into the lab or anything, but they can watch the workers work and they can get, you know, get a sense of, of, wow, that's cool. Look at that. What are they doing? That's so fascinating. That's so interesting. Obviously you would have to, you know, kind of dress it up a little bit. So it shows kind of the more flashy sides of things. Cause there are some pretty boring aspects to just about any one job, but you know, create an environment where they see how, how education could lead to a fascinating job like that. You know, they can see with their own eyes up front every day, somebody doing something fascinating in a field that they might think is interesting. Um, I, I can't remember who this was. I think it was Jeff Sutherland, the guy, uh, one of the creators of, of Scrum, the Agile framework. Um, he was talking about, maybe maybe it wasn't. Don't don't quote me, quote me on this. I'm, I'm not a thousand percent positive here. Uh, talking about how um, a teacher had emailed him and explained to him that that he taught his, like, I think they're like three, third or fourth graders. He taught them Scrum and he taught the kids how to solve problems on their own and how to, you know, um, not on their own, on their own as a group, like how to, how to use their group dynamics to solve problems. And he said within a couple days that they were literally teaching themselves. They were designing their own lesson plans. They had a burn down chart. They had everything figured out and the kids just took the role and went, they just did their own thing and they were teaching themselves. The teacher would only step in here and there if there was, you know, if something was misunderstood or if they didn't get, you know, had, had, um, if they hadn't figured something out correctly and that sort of a thing. So I would, I've always thought it would be interesting to have a student instructor sort of a setup where say, uh, but let's do so let's do a really easy example here say a bunch of high schoolers right in geometry okay they're they're in their geometry class well why don't you take like the first half of the year and have um student set a learning the information okay and then 
during the second half of the year, student set B comes in to learn the information, and student set A teaches them the information. The only role the instructor would have is to, you know, just step in and, and correct somebody or, or help somebody if they forgot something. But the whole point would be that you learn things so much better when you teach them. So much better. It, it cements it into your mind. If our entire educational system worked like that, where you would progress, you know, learn something, and then you turned around and taught it to the kids coming in, like fully taught it. You know, you are the teacher. You are the instructor for the one student that's coming in that's pairing with you. That would create, I think, graduates of a caliber which we have never seen before in in terms of whole classes graduating at a time because it would it would ensure that almost every single subject a student goes through is wholly cemented into his mind because he has to turn around and teach it that would just completely change the face of education anyway uh the next thing i think um would be extremely important is to allow the students to set their own pace allow them to decide when they want to move on to the next topic allow them to decide what topics they want to move on to allow them to decide you know kind of set their own their own uh course and schedule i think people would be astonished at how well this would work if implemented properly i think people have this idea that kids are out of control that they can't control themselves that that they're just wild little things and if you give them any amount of freedom they just go off the hook and i don't think that's true if you do it correctly as a matter of fact i know that's not true uh modern psychology and and kid psychology tells us as much kids are naturally curious they're natural learners and it's crazy that the way we have our school set up actually teaches them to un unlearn that natural curiosity it really does there's been a lot of research done on this and it's fucking crazy that we're still doing it i mean it's been years like i don't know when the first publication came out but it's been like 15 20 years and we're still doing it like what are we doing that is the problem that we are stuck in we we just like get stuck in these these social loops and we don't know how to get out of them and it's stupid anyway uh let's move on okay number three uh minimize hierarchic structures and maximize community and democracy now just like children have a natural drive for curiosity and for learning humans have a natural drive to become their best possible selves it it's it's sort of a it kind of spawns from that curiosity and and drive to learn from kids um that's that's our propensity. We, we want to be our best selves. We want to be able to contribute to society. Now, I just hit my 30-minute mark, so I'm going to try to hurry and wrap this up, but uh, I apologize. I'm going to go a little bit over today. This is a 
bit of a lengthy one. So anyway, um, yeah, let's get, let's just keep going. Uh, I don't know if you've read Outliers by uh, um, Malcolm Gladwell. Fascinating book. Uh, anybody who is anybody should read that book. It, it, it details a lot of kind of what, what this point really is talking about. Now it, it may, it's not saying exactly what I'm saying, but there's, there's strong correlation is what I'm saying. Okay. So, um, hierarchical structures dampen that capacity that we have dampen that drive that we have. They really do. They, they really put a, a clamp on that intrinsic inner edge engine to, to become and to help and to provide and to, you know, commune. It's, it really does. It's, it's crazy how much of an effect hierarchies have on human drive. So I would say for this one, there are kind of a few points that we would need to tackle. Um, the one is to allow to take on a, 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 din a dynamic within companies, within organizations, right? Where you kind of drop the hierarchy, where you initiate and instigate a sort of communal structure, a sort of everybody just kind of works together to get stuff done. If there's a task that needs to get done, you know, whoever is ha has enough knowledge and, and is competent in that specific task allow them to step up and handle it they will because you switched from this sort of uh, hierarchic sort of uh, you know you are going to be told what to do sort of a thing to hey i i can handle that to where they feel like they're stepping up to where they feel like they have autonomy over the situation and they want to help the team um the, the second point uh for this one is that we need to really absorb and understand that at work productivity has very it it's very influenced by several other variables not just the variables at work not just how they're accepted at work not just um, by how much they know you know their competence or their their autonomy over whatever project um, they've they've decided to or have been given to tackle but it's deeply tied to their home life and we really haven't wrapped our minds around that yet we know it it's been in the research for who knows how many fucking decades but we haven't really implemented it like at all <laughs> it, it's it's another one of those crazy aspects of humanity of current human condition it's just i don't understand why we haven't found a way or been investigating ways to implement that knowledge so for instance say um somebody has a divorce or an addiction or whatever and um their productivity goes down okay instead of firing them instead of shooing them out the door because they're having problems at home or because their car breaks down. Here's a suggestion. Accept them in even more. Help them to overcome whatever obstacles they're having at home. I can promise you one thing. If companies were to do that, they would find 
that that employee not only would his productivity come back up after he dealt with his emotional and you know psychological turmoil not only was would his productivity come back up but his loyalty to the company would cement it, it would it would harden it would it would solidify his loyalty would be unlike the loyalty of anybody else in that place who hasn't been through that experience okay the next couple of points for um uh, maximizing community and minimizing hierarchy would be uh, to amplify the notion of community and get rid of the, mo the notion of the one-person show. Like, I can take care of everything by myself. I can handle it all by myself. Because you can't. Nobody can. You think you can, but you can't. Um, and if you don't believe me, why don't you uh, look up uh, iPencil, right? The economic, the kind of it's a sort of a story touted in economics. I, I think it's a pretty good story, and I think it really illustrates this. There is no one-man show, or one-person show, I apologize. And the last thing uh, I think that would really get, uh, get this moving is uh, to drop regulations, laws, rules, anything that have already been unequivocally shown to be detrimental to our society, or to individuals within our society. This includes prohibition, which has done so much damage and so it's caused so much suffering, it's stupefying. And the reason why I think this would be important in 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 you know pulling down the hierarchy and amplifying the community is because and nonsense bullshit laws that everybody knows are bullshit, okay? Yet they are being enforced anyway because the guys in power want to continue to enforce it. So these, these dumb fucking laws are being enforced with guns and handcuffs and, uh, you know, police radios. Like they have all these dystopian esque tactics to keep the structure of the hierarchy enforced everybody knows it's bs everybody knows it's hurting us everybody knows it's damaging us yet they themselves the people in power the hierarchy are convinced they have convinced themselves that it is the good fight so if you take away those those points of friction well simply by taking away those points of friction you you increase naturally the community you increase the the you know i mean you don't you don't have friction anymore <laughs> you become more of a community without the friction like it's a pretty obvious you know dynamic okay now my last major point the last the last of the four points right the full automation of uh, waste management and energy efficiency. Okay, so the first thing we would really need to do is to fit every home, every home, not just some homes, okay? We would need to fit every home, every business, every communal system, everything that we use, all right, with an automated uh, power and resource regulation system. and what this system would do is 
in within the home, okay, or within a business too as well, you know, is handle energy consumption, water consumption, start start a whole research project or or you know, a push to develop uh, dishwashing devices that don't use so much water. Maybe dishwashing devices that have some kind of perfect mix between uh, high pressure water and uh, you know sonic sound, right? Some sort of um, sonic vibration and uh, sandblasts or like low <laughs> low yield sandblasting systems or something. There, there's so many possible ways we could we could design this stuff. Um, single plate washers, right? Instead of having a whole dishwasher shoved in underneath your um, uh, counter, maybe have just kind of something that looks like a little toaster where you just stick a plate in there and, you know, it cleans it really fast and you just put it away. Or, um, you know, little uh, countertop cup washers, uh, that, that sort of a thing. Things that minimize any sort of uh, energy or, or water expenditure and they're simpler, you know, they're better looking, they're nicer, that sort of a thing. I, I think we should really, anyway, even without implementing my entire system that I've outlined in this episode, I think we should really think about that sort of a thing. Another idea I've kind of been kicking around is the doorless um, refrigerator. Every time you open the door of a, of a um, you know, your icebox, you you are letting out so much cold air now it's enough right to where your refrigerator has to kick back on if you have it open for more than you know a minute trying to get stuff in and out so why not have a refrigerator with a front um you know where the front whole front is kind of glass where you can see everything that's in there but um it's wholly automated so if you want something, you just ask for the milk, grab some milk, and it kind of like how an airlock in a space shuttle would work, right? Drops it down in the airlock, opens it up, and no exchange of cold air. That sort of a thing. I, I think that would be a really cool idea, and I think it could really um, save a lot of energy. Um, uh, AI grid regulation for the electrical grid, um, something that communicates with each home. I know this is something that's already been kind of talked about, but I'm talking about something that like really does this, like uh, where you have a small light-powered AI core inside the home that that manages and monitors and and you know regulates energy use patterns, that sort of a thing. And it just communicates necessary information to the power grid instead of instead of the power grid trying to figure out all the homes all at once. You know, more pertinent information could be um, could be found from within the home itself, regulating things within the home. Oftentimes, most of the electricity being used in a home is probably not necessary electricity. It's probably something that could be shut off or turned off or you know not in use. So, uh, yeah, a, 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 some sort of regulation system, it doesn't necessarily have to be AI. If you can automate it in a way that uses less power and less resources than, than a system built, uh, you know, a machine learning sort of a system, then, yeah, let's do it. But, I mean, we could fit so many, 
so many efficiency uh, maximization systems, so many uh, energy and material waste minimization systems into our culture that it's it's crazy that we really haven't put the foot forward to do this. Uh, there there are you know some um, proposals and that sort of a thing, but there really hasn't been an all-out effort to do this. And I think if we are going to get through a lot of the crises we face right now, we need to be a little bit more proactive with this. I mean, we, we, we could, this sort of a system could help with uh, um, resource allocation, distribution, um, personal and private uh, self-care, right? Self-monitoring, habits, um, goal setting, uh, automated, I guess, uh, delivery, route efficiency, you know, I mean, th there are so many different areas in our life where we could maximize the efficiency of what we're doing and minimize the waste output, both energetic and material. So that's a very... I guess, brief overview of what I think some of the main points in, in altering our society enough and getting us on track enough to become productive, productive and, and caring and unified enough to where we will have the extra resources necessary to proactively go after, you know, preventing things like the great filter from filtering the humans out, you know, just swiping us out. So a uh, quick kind of disclosure here. Um, this, this episode is basically a very skeletal <laughs> sort of overview of STEM theory and which is what I have been working on, but there are, a lot of pieces of STEM theory. There's a lot of substance of STEM theory and is far more dynamic than this, but that, that, that's kind of the basics. Those are about the, the most functional you could get with the least amount of, of change. Um, STEM theory is far more, far more broad and, and, and complicated. So yeah, that's kind of my disclosure. I didn't just, you know, come up out of nowhere. That's a very, large part of my research. All right. So, uh, that is that for this episode. Thank you for listening. And, um, please consider, you know, subscribing, liking, and, uh, if you would really like to help, um, fund the research, uh, even a, you know, a small monthly donation would be greatly appreciated, which you'll hear about in a second, but yep. Thank you everybody. Have a, have a great weekend. Bye-bye. In the interest of transparency, The Great Filter Podcast is a Phobos Tech production. All proceeds go to funding the STEM Theory Research Project and other Phobos Tech research endeavors. If you enjoyed this episode, please show your support by sharing, liking, and subscribing. You may also help support our efforts with a small monthly donation. Thanks.